Hi everybody, this is Matteo Scalera from Italy. Work on Secret Avengers, uh, Hulk, uh, Batman. I'm currently working on Black Science for Image Comics, and you're listening to the Top Five Comics podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today with us we have... CBS. Hello. Hi. We're also featuring... Rob. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Yes, this is good. So we're down a couple minutes again today. Well, scheduling's been ridiculous. If you've been listening for the last probably ten episodes, you know that... It, it's been ridiculous. But summer, things will be things will be a little better in a few more months, and things will get back to being a little more on track with the with with the uh, gang. Let's call it that with the gang. Uh, okay, so today we're doing episode number eighty nine. Wee 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 wee. All right. That was close. That was close. It wasn't quite right, but it was close. Close enough. Uh, see, book-wise, we're going to be doing uh, Captain America number 10, the Harley Quinn uh, number 13, this is the reborn Harley Quinn, Walking Dead number 163, and Amazons, uh, Odyssey of the Amazons, excuse me, uh, from DC Comics, of course, and then uh, Star Wars, that's number one on the Amazons, and Star Wars number 28. It's like somewhere in there from Marvel Comics. Gosh, since it was a dark horse. They're all newer books, people. Come on. <sighs> somewhere in there I like had a pace and then got lost in what was happening. It happens sometimes. I'm going to say it's unacceptable, sir. Unacceptable. <sighs> Apparently I have to discipline myself by smacking myself when we're done. Okay. That's, yeah, more information than everybody needed at home. I hope you're not listening to this by yourself. And if you are, well, keep it nasty. No? <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's from that video with Lando and Han and yeah. Stay Nasty. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Apparently, if you haven't seen the video on YouTube, then you don't even know what I'm talking about. And again, it's an in-joke that only I understand, so no point. There you go. Yeah, all day long, people. All day long. Okay, well, uh, with all that sort of out of the way... God. It's almost like we had no idea what we're doing whatsoever. It seems like every episode, at some point, I'm like, <laughs> and I completely check out. Well, maybe it keeps it fresh. It's like every time is the first time. Every time is every time's the first time. Yeah. No. No? Okay. It's, it's not like it's actually, it's almost like planned chaos, because it's not like, it's not like it's really out of control now. If Curtis was here yucking it up, and Ross is telling the stories about Pokemons, then yeah, it would be a little more out of control. No? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to stop. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Uh, okay, so, uh, Rob, we got any comic news? Since the electric Doug Pyle is busy during college stuff. Hmm. Good job. Which is good. Yeah, it's good to do the college stuff. Someone's got to. Um, I, I don't really have a whole lot. I guess there was, what, they, they announced the name for Star Wars Episode Nine. No, uh, yeah, episode nine. Episode nine. Yeah. Yep, uh, the, uh... No, episode eight. Damn it. No, it's... it's no, it's eight. Is it eight? 
Yeah. Six, seven, yes. Because you don't count Rogue. Rogue One is not a Star Wars chapter piece, it's a side piece. So it's not actually a chapter. So yeah, it's it's eight. Okay. Chapter eight. Yes. Is that works. Which Mm -hmm. is what, Rob? The Last Jedi. Bam! Last Jedi. Which I guess the internet is going crazy with and is like putting their fist up in the air and Oh, he better be the last Jedi. I <laughs> I don't really understand. It, it's a title. Jedi's plural. Is it Jedi's plural? One Jedi or Jedi's? I think it's the last Jedi. Yeah, but Jedi could be considered as both. But not Jedi. The end of the Jedi. You don't say Jedi's. The end of the Jedi's. Okay. Like a car. That's a jetty. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's just like they thought this title would be really cool, and that's just why they're going with it. Because yeah. I think a lot of people are taking it really literal. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they're assuming that Luke is the last Jedi. Which, I mean, they might go with that. They they might really ham-fist it up and go, oh, well, you know, Vader was the last Sith, so now Luke is the last Jedi. But I don't... I just, I don't, I don't see it that way. Well, if, it's, if, if Vader, was, Vader was the last Sith, then what does that make Kylo Ren? It was the last Sith at the time. Oh, okay. You know I thought you were going to say a can of tuna. No. Okay. Yeah. Although I don't, you know, it, it's it's always one of those things. It's kind of a big shot in the foot, you know, when you go, oh, well, there's only two, Palpatine and then his apprentice. Well, where did, where did the... Our new Grand Master guy and, come from. Yeah, that's well, true. I know Maul and Dooku, I mean, they made sort of sense. But, uh, who, I can't remember his name now. It's an S name. Are you talking about the guy in the new movie? Yeah, Snoke. Like, wh- where did Snoke come from? If if there was no other Jedis, or no other Sith out there, hmm. you know, he had to be out there somewhere, right? Well, it depends on what conspiracy belief you believe on the internet, Rob. Well, and I mean, kind of... Going with the idea that anybody can go, oh, well, this is the last one. You know, in the world, that's a big deal. In the universe, or the galaxy, that's even bigger. Right, that's a good point. And I mean, if they, what, what do they consider the Knights of Rin, then? Are they not Jedi or Sith? I, I don't know. Apparently, they're, they're Rin. You I see, guess. You say, what does that mean? I go, well, there's a dog named Rin 1010. So maybe they're the guys that walk the dog. Well, evidently they were supposed to be heck of non-important, because originally they weren't even going to be in the next film. That's true. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think it's it's a cool name and whatever, but I I just think, like, kind of cool internet people for a little while. It's just a name. Let it be? Yeah. So you don't think Snoke is, uh... This has nothing to do with what you're talking about, but you don't think Snoke is, uh, what's his name from the Avengers movies? That's got the passion in his eye? Nick Fury? Yes. No, I don't, I don't think so. You don't think he's Sam Jackson? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Is that, even, is that even a thing that's floating yeah, around right now? Yeah, random oh. people. It's just another one of those, well, his head's kind of bald, and, well, Maze Window was kind of bald, and, yeah, you know, Maze Window got thrown out that window and hit with lightning, so maybe his face is all charred up, and he's got a giant split in his head. We never saw him die. We never saw a dead body. He never got a spire. He never turned into a force ghost. He didn't get himself burned like a Viking. Mm-hmm, it's true. It's true. So, uh... I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that that's a, a far-flung idea. Well, all the lightning reprogrammed his brain to be evil. Mm, it's possible. Is that how that works? 
Sure. Was the shocker guy fine until they electrocuted him and put him in the TV? No, he was he was a killer. He's a bad guy first? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That explain why he was in the chair. He was already a killer. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> good point. I was wrongly accused, but now I'm going to be Freddy Krueger knockoff. Shocker. Shocker's great, Rob. <laughs> Shocker is great. Uh, but no, he was he was already a killer. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That's true. He was. That's why he was in jail. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess it works for the new Disney timeline that there has been no one else who is taught to be a Jedi. But it's really bizarre to me. Because, I mean, even in the books, before they start teaching the kids... There's all these other people that are force sensitives that Luke starts taking in and starts teaching. So yeah, I mean, that's, kinda, that's in the expanding universe. Well, yeah, our canon. Yeah, I, I, I guess like this is just like wrapping it up with the bow that like oh he only taught Ben and then uh, the Knights of Ren whatever you know maybe they weren't taught by him maybe the Knights of Ren were all taught by Snoke and Snoke was just like screw you guys now that I got Ben. I don't need you idiots anymore. I don't need you guys. Send the swords back. You can just hang out on the homeworld somewhere, because we don't need you. So are you saying it's possible that all the Force sensitives that haven't been doing anything, they're like those folks that can turn their eyelids inside out, and that's like, that, that's as far as their Force powers went? I, I'm i thinking that probably in the movie universe, they, they really just didn't think about Anything. <laughs> well, anything seems a little harsh, Rob. So, so they just they just decided, like, well, I'm going to go teach my son Ben. Oh, my gosh, he's a terrible teenager. I guess I'll just go throughout the galaxy <laughs> and just disappear forever. Because why not? <laughs> I mean, like... that well, ship him off to his creepy uncle. I mean, that's the timeline I have at this point, is Ben's kind of weird, and he might have force powers. Luke, why don't you look into it? Okay, I'll teach him some stuff. Man, you're a disappointment. See ya. I want to <laughs> go live on an island in space. I want to say that's after he went bad, though. You can come and visit me if you want, except for I uh, lost the map, so... Psh, see ya. <laughs> My... Are you sure it's I, not a lot of lines sure, of... I'm sure he already went bad, but I'm mean, like... Why would he only look to teach one person? Maybe all the knights are in. Well, there's a lot of dead bodies around Homegirl when she has a weird vision from touching the lightsaber. Yeah, maybe. It looks like there's lots of bodies. Yeah, we don't need any face close-ups or anything, but it looks like there's lots of bodies. Or those mm. are really Carl Ford chunks of laundry on the ground. I don't know. So you have to do a head count. It's, it's one of those things that I, I thought that they would expand on in the comic and then didn't do anything at all. Um, maybe they did in the book. I don't know. I didn't read the book. Because I kind of was like... Yeah, it is weird. Here's three novels. Okay. Here's three novels you should read before you watch the new movie. Yeah, well, I mean, th those guys actually shed a lot of extra light on things. I meant the like a official novelization of the Force Awakens. Oh, like the novel of the movie. Yeah, I, I didn't in actually read that. Form. Yeah. Did you read the other books? Um, the the books before. Yeah. No, I, I heard about them from some other people, and so I kind of got some of the gists of right. the things they put in there, which some of it would really be great to know for more continuity. It's almost like they needed a movie before the movie to well, explain nonsense about nonsense. Uh, somebody had mentioned like it would have been a great idea to like turn especially the Finn story into maybe like a, a television miniseries before the film came out. Mm, like Clone Wars style. Maybe like a five-minute burst between different commercials to get a half-hour story of him done by a director like... I don't know, Gindy Tarkovsky. 
Oh wait, no, we well, won't do well, that. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I mean, because it, it's just it seemed like they had a lot more going on with this character that was in that book that wasn't in the film, or we didn't experience it in the film, so we don't. You know, we did, you know if you're just a fan of the film. You never experience that stuff. Right. And I mean, it, it's not too far outside of, I know we're talking about a lot of like book stuff. It's not too far outside of comics because it was written by a prominent comic art, uh, writer. Those books actually. were, yeah. yeah. I'll, give, I'll give him credit there, but yeah, the rest of it just seems weird. There's a book you're supposed to read to go along with the movie. Yeah. It's I, almost like homework before you saw do something fun. I, I just wish they would have thought about it because it seems like some of that information was important. It doesn't feel like it's just extra. Right. You know, which would have been probably the better way to go if it was just... Extra. Like, superfluous stuff. Like, you didn't need it to understand certain elements. Right. So, like, for instance, Stormtrooper number two who gets shot and puts the blood on Finn's face. Yeah. Okay, that was his homie. That was his homie that always messed up. And so they called him, like... I think it was, like, Fumbles or something. Well, no, no, that's the robot chicken thing. They they had a nickname for him where he kind of messed things up. Right. And so a lot of the other troopers, like, made up for him. But he was the guy that, like, most people liked. He just wasn't very good at being a stormtrooper. The hand-hand fighting instructor was somebody that was a part of, like, his little group. Who, like, excelled at martial abilities, but was, like, actually connected to Finn and the guy who died. So there's a bigger connection for them when he runs across him on that battlefield and he's like, Screw you, gun." Let's fight with a stick. <laughs> like, it wasn't just because, like, oh, you want to have some cool martial arts moment in the film. It was it was supposed to relate to these guys' relationship to each Previous other. Previous story that happened in the story before the story. Yeah, it happened in the book. Along with that, so was, so was the idea of Captain Plasma's uniform. Like, Captain it looks cool. Phasma's Phasma, I'm uniform. sorry. Yeah, Phasma. I mean, it looks cool in the film. Sure. But it becomes even cooler when they, go, when they come up with the idea that, like, it was salvaged off of one of Palpatine's Nabooian cruisers. And so, like, the armor was made off of, like, shiphole cruisers from from a Naboo ship. Like, all of a sudden, okay, well, that suit is kind of cool. It has some kind of extra meaning now. That it just being shiny? Uh, I suppose, I mean, that's actually, that's actually the kind of stuff I expect from the book, is to be stuff that doesn't really affect the film, right. but is kind of cool. Superfluous. Superfluous? Yeah, superfluous. Yeah, there you go. Uh, even stuff like the the old man who gives him the map was one of the people who follows the Force religion. Like, that would have been something cool in the book. But it doesn't necessarily need to be in the movie. Oh, man. Either direction. Uh, it is odd. If you haven't had a chance to read the book, say, I think it's Greg Rucka that wrote it. It's pretty good yeah, stuff. Yeah, he wrote a, a couple uh, of them anyways. Yeah. Good stuff. It, weird. I mean, if you feel like there's holes missing still and you feel like researching it, that'd be where you would look. Yeah. Uh, so I hear the books are fantastic, so if you don't like the film anyways, don't hold that against the books, because like, they might make you like the book, the film better. Or at least fill out the holes that Maybe. are weird. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, that was more Star Wars talk than anything else. <laughs> yeah, Not sorry. really news at all. I'm not sure how we got there. Uh, because we were talking about the new Star Wars title. Oh, right. That's, that's where it came There we go, and now there's a full circle in my head. Yeah. Uh, man. So, so was there any other news? Uh, let's see, well, a couple days ago we found out that uh, old uh, Ben is not going to be directing the uh, Batman Affleck movie. It'll now be directed by someone else, apparently. 
Hmm. And I guess there's a batch of petitions both directions. One online petition, which means absolutely nothing, but is something someone built on a website, to not allow Zack Snyder to direct it, because somehow that's going to make the mouse make a decision, which is foolish. Um, Mickey doesn't have any say in this. No. Well, you... Bugs does. Oh, right. Warner Brothers. Somewhere in there I got my vermin confused. <laughs> the rabbit hmm. versus the mouse. Yeah. Which in a fight, I guess, pick the rabbit. He's bigger. Sharp teeth. Hmm. But rats will get inside you. <laughs> Just true. saying. That's true. I would be, I'd be surprised if they went with Zack again. Uh, just because... Basically, the stuff, the fallout for... Batman vs. Superman almost all fell on him. Right. Well, I was going to say because, well, we watched Batman vs. Superman, so that's why you wouldn't pick him. Well, I mean, on He's top done of other that, good movies, buddy. Yeah. Other good movies. That one, not so much. Well, on top of that, like, uh, I guess the studio just was like, yeah, do whatever you want. <laughs> so, like, instead of coming in and having, like, controlling direction or anybody else checking what he was doing, they were just like, oh, no, you know the ropes by now. Make make us money. See you later. Print us money. And, like, he started printing money with, <laughs> you know, people with turtlenecks on and stuff. And, like, nobody was there to say, like, dude, stop. It doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, now that it's all falling apart and they look back on it, the studios are kind of like, oh, no, it was all Zach. Well, yeah, then we can wash our hands of it. We just figured he knew what he was doing. Clearly he was foolish. You know, and and I mean, is it probably is it really his fault? I think he I think he had a story in his mind that was really good, and there was nobody to say like, there's there's stuff missing here that needs to be fixed, and I think he just uh, since he didn't have somebody to bounce off of, it came back to bite him. I'm not a huge fan of his work so far, but three hundred was good. Watchmen was good. Three hundred was good. Watchmen was good. I have I have my issues with Watchmen, but I mean it was a good interpretation. Sure. Ben's not a bad director. He's good at directing action, so Yeah. I, I think he just needed another he needed somebody who had an overall idea where they were going. Right. And hopefully that's what we got now. With uh, John's, John's maybe, but he's he's punched out of the movie stuff too and coming back to complex for a minute. So I guess we'll see what Wonder Woman does. Yeah. But yeah, I guess uh so as there was not a determined date regardless for the uh, Batfleck Batman movie, according to Ben's... He gave an interview to some magazine. I can't remember the name of the magazine, though. Anyway, um, in the interview he said he was still playing the part and they were still making the movie. He just was not going to direct it because he couldn't devote enough time to both sides to make it as good as it needs to be. Which yeah. sounds kind of like a cop-out a little bit, because the dude was a pretty good director. Yeah, he is. With that in mind, I guess we'll see who winds up getting the slate to direct it. Whether that deals with rewrites or not, I mean, most of the stuff Ben's directed, he's been stuff he helped write. So it may very well be that he didn't like what story he wanted to do. Because initially he said that what he wanted to do was an original story that drew from pieces of current continuity. So, like, he was going to pick and choose pieces, just like what Marvel's doing when they picked pieces from Ultimate Universe and pieces from Regular Universe and mashed them. So, sound like the same idea. The couple pictures that came out that were supposed to be connected to the newer Batman movie... I don't know if they were test footage or what they were. Because there was a picture that came out with him with crazy goggles as part of his mask. Then there's a picture that came out that showed what the goggles probably were actually doing. Because it seemed like he's in the scene that they show... Well, it's not a scene. It's a, it's a photo. And what it looks like is Batman working on the Batmobile and getting ready to flow in a, throw an electric switch. 
and sparks firing out the back of the Batmobile. That's what it looks like. You don't see a full Batmobile, and all you really see is a panel on the wall and him throwing it. But the goggles don't look like part of the regular mask. They look like eye protection for the electrical work he was doing. So, like, the crazy mask that everybody was afraid of, that I was afraid of, I don't think it's actually a mask. I think it's a added piece of protection to the mask to show the idea he was doing work in the bat suit, which is hell questionable, because you think if you're going to do work in the bat cave on a bat thing, you'd not wear the cowl. I mean, honestly, the cape's going to get in the way. So, like, that's questionable. But, hey, the man's working method, whatever. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, end answer is that Affleck's no longer directing it, which I think is probably a hell of a mistake. Because the dude's a good director. Yeah. Whether you like him as an actor or not, he's a decent director. So I guess we'll see where that winds up landing. Uh, so there's that. I feel like there's a couple other pieces. Oh, um, Nicole Kidman's in talks for playing Aquaman's uh, mom in the Aquaman movie. Uh, they cast Black Manta, and I cannot remember his name. So IMDB, folks. I think by probably by the time you listen to this, she'll probably have already made a decision, but they were in talks about her playing the part of the mom, so... That's cool. So Aquaman's shaping up pretty good. That Fleck Bat movie wasn't going to be till after Aquaman anyway, so I guess we'll see. Maybe by then things will change again. Yeah, it's hard to say. After all, we're going to have Wonder Woman come out, so for all we know, the Warner Brothers might just fold up tent. Call it. Well, that's true. Unlikely, since all the Justice League stuff's been filmed. And maybe that shot of the Batman with the weird goggles is from the Justice League movie and not from a Batman movie. And the internet's full of lies. That's also a possibility. I'm going to go with lies. The internet being full of them. I, I still have a hard time with Bruce showing up to recruit Barry eh. as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it's thing. hella questionable, but at, at this point we just have to roll with whatever they're doing. So mm-hmm. I, I will give you hella questionable. Well, but with no Superman, who else are you going to send? Are you going to send the Amazon? Yeah. She, she can't do it. No, so you have to send a billionaire. Mm-hmm. That's the only other thing that makes sense. No, that's true, and, I, and maybe I'm just clinging to my old, my old ways too hard. You know, the idea of the, of the secret identity. Because I mean, like, almost every movie they reveal it, and in the new Fifty Two, he's been much more cavalier with it. So, let's move on to books, because that's what people really here for. Oh, and plus, at the end of the episode, we have an interview. She's how I missed the interview at the beginning. Oh yes, foolish. Like we've never done this before. Uh, yeah, we, we eighty nine uh, of these, and still can't get it right. Interview with who, Rob? It's a, it's a long lost interview from Comic Con in Denver this this last year in 2016. Yep. Uh, this is from Greg Wassel, who's a small time com writer and and now maker, who's working on a book called Oh Hell. It's George 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 Wassel. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did I? What did Greg. I George. George Wassel is the correct name. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's actually really cool because, you know, it, it's, he's made this product that is really cool and I don't know, I, I was kind of inspired to him because, uh, you, you kind of feel like it's, it's hard to get into this industry. It's hard to like write comics and actually make it happen. The people who actually try know how hard that is. Right. But here he is, you know, and, in his stage in life, and he's doing it, you know. And well, he's an older so, dude, so that's yeah. definitely impressive. And book oh hell, so we got that interview, which, which, is a fun book. which uh, we'll run here later in the episode. And should have run much earlier, but it got lost in a piece of well, the internet's the devil. So, but it's been found, so that's lucky. Sorry, sorry, George, if you're listening to it. Yeah, it was meant to run much sooner, sir. 
Anyway, um, okay, so let's move into... What book are we doing first? Captain America? Let's do Captain America. Captain America number 10. Number 10. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. All right, uh, being written by Nick Spencer. And there's a whole lot of artists on this book, so... I guess the big thing is to... Let's let's just throw out a very quick synopsis. Everybody knows about the whole Captain America Hell Hydra thing that happened in issue one of this series. What some of you may know or may not know, because you didn't, you know, you just freaked out and ranted on the internet and then never fall back and figure it out, is that um, during the standoff storyline, Pleasant Hill standoff. Yeah, yeah um, there was this. There's a cosmic cube that was shattered. And a chunk of it basically took on sentiency and became this little girl who was able to rewrite kind of reality, because that's what the Cosmic Cubes do. So when they re-euthanized... That's not how you say that. When, <laughs> when they gave Cap back his youth. Yeah, when they made Cap young again, um, she didn't just give him back his, his youth, she also rewrit his reality or his mind to think the way that Hydra would want him to think. Like, basically, he was brought up with the idea that, back in the day, he was actually raised with the ideals of Hydra. Now, a lot of that is due to the fact that she was kind of raised a little bit by the Red Skull. And he kind of imparted this whole fantasy idea of what Hydra is. And so she just thought Hydra was the best thing ever, so when she helps Steve... She makes him kind of this agent of Hydra. Well, by happenstance of rewriting his memories of history, um, she makes him and the Red Skull friends because she wants all of her friends to get along. So very much a child's understanding of how things work, despite the fact she has immense crazy power. Yeah, Pleasant Hill, pretty good little series. I mean, it was only like four issues, but Standoff and Pleasant Hill, I think four together. Yeah, it's kind of a downside because it should have been a bigger deal. Yeah, it should have been. And I, I don't... I don't know. I, I get it, I guess, but Marvel just... They don't Honestly, know... Honestly, what... it's their fault. I think the marketing on it was not pitched correctly, because it, it should have been a bigger deal, but it was such a mini like thing that didn't connect anywhere. Yeah. Like, how are you supposed to... Well, it makes it hard, because you can't really just go, Hey, pay attention because of this, because otherwise you give away your own story. But right, that's true. Marvel likes to put a lot of things out at the same time. I, I just... I think they're convinced that we're not all interested in buying more pieces of the universe than just our little spot. Right. And so they think they need to do multiple uh, events events to kind of capture everybody. Right. And I think that's not true. This isn't Pokemon people. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to buy both to get them, you know. Well, if you're going to buy the books, buy the books, but Marvel trying to catch all of us people as Pokemons, that's a terrible analogy. Rob, move forward with the book. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Don't Let's let me on. talk. Um... So, actually, as we, as we get involved in the story, one of the big things that's happening right now is Maria Hill is being booted out of S.H.I.E.L.D. because of her involvement with Pleasant Hill. They're looking for who's going to become this new replacement. Along with that, they know that there's this enormous Chitauri fleet coming, and it's heading towards Earth. And it's supposed to be bigger than the Annihilus Wave. So if you don't know about that, and we're not going to get into it now... It was bad news. So they're looking to give S.H.I.E.L.D. more control over how the Earth's defense works. 
the go-ahead to build a planetary defense shield and kind of have autonomy in a bunch of different countries, if not most of the world. And so as this is going on, Steve Rogers is kind of lobbying for the idea of having Sharon be the, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And kind of before he can really get things figured out, she winds up actually turning him down and nominating him instead. So he's posed to basically take over S.H.I.E.L.D. Along with that, we find out that the changes to his his history go all the way back to when he was first becoming Captain America. So, like, the whole idea was he was actually working for the the Nazis at the time with uh, Hydra's best interests in mind, and he was actually going to poison the Doctor, who eventually selects him to be Captain America. So we kind of see, like, a, a subversive all the way back then as how he kind of develops as a character. Along with that, we wind up finding out that he's been in contact with the Red Skull, and the Red Skull would like him to kill... Jack Flagg, who was a character who got hurt pretty bad in the first issue. The first reveal of Hell Hydra, Steve, or Cap. Yeah. He basically throws the dude out of plane. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that Selvage is worried that he's going to come out of this coma. And so Steve is uh, primed to go and kill him. And he has this whole time where he's kind of like, he's debating whether or not his morals will allow him to do this. Because if he gets found out as Hydra, he can't achieve what his goals are, which was to basically, like, make the world better through Hydra. If if he lets him live, you know, it could come back on him. Like, if, if he kills him, you know, he's betraying himself. If he doesn't, he could be betrayed. And so we're having this whole moment where he's trying to figure out what to do and whether or not it's worth doing this when her partner comes in and basically tells him that she has the power of attorney and... She's decided to, like, shut the machines off that are keeping him alive. Right. So it seems like it's been taken out of Cap's hands. Yeah, like he narrowly narrowly survived not having to kill Jack Flagg because Jack Flagg's power of attorney has decided to unplug the machines, and if he's going to live, he'll have to live on his own merits. So it's like a narrow miss of a bullet? So weird. But happenstancy, which we had something like that sort of happened in Thunderbolts too. Not with the same characters at all, but a very similar, like, near-miss by happenstance. Mm. So, anyway, go on. But, uh, in the end, one of the big reveals in this book is him being nominated to be the lead of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know, it's it's leading into Marvel's next big thing, which is going to be the Secret Empire. Right. And, hopefully, I, I'm kind of opposed to what it looks like they're going to do which is, like, make you have to buy this ridiculous book that they're not explaining what it is at all. You know, it's hard to say what, what that thing's going to be. Like, the series itself will be its own thing, like an event, but whatever the big book is, is is still questionable. I mean, they haven't really revealed what it is. Ultimately, we assume that it's connected to this Secret Empire stuff. I guess we'll see, and then people try to backpedal ordering it, but... That's what happens when you advertise something stupid. Well, yeah. And you advertise it and tell us the price and then say, oh, we're not going to tell you anything about it, though. Right. Yeah. Good, good luck. Good luck. Rob, you, score book. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I rate it a four, and there's one more thing I want to say about it, and then I'll shut up, because you know, I've been on this for a while. There, there seems to be this crazy idea 
that somehow you can't take risks with these characters like this. Like, this is, this is a crazy story to have Steve be so broken and to build towards him having this, this connection to Hydra. Now, I mean, as, as comic fans, we've, we've been around long enough. We know that once the story hits its point, we're, we're going to get a fallback and we're going to get Steve back as the hero that he once was, or we're going to kill him off completely. We, we know that these things are not going to be permanent changes forever. And it's so strange to me that fans are so opposed to this story at all that they won't even bother to check it out, when at the exact same time they're saying, oh, well, I wish that these characters would do something different. Oh, I wish they'd make they'd take more chances. I wish they would change up stories. But as soon as you do, they don't want to read it. And it just drives me nuts. Like, this is actually a really, really well-done story, as good as anything that's being put out by any company. But there's so many people that just immediately are turning away from it. It's it's kind of one of those things, like, well, what do you do, you know? You can't just keep putting out the same stories, but if you change anything, you lose readers. Yeah. Everybody's fickle, it's fine. Mm. That's how the system works. Um, okay, so you gave it a four? Yeah, I'd give it a four. Okay. I enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot of moments where I was like, oh my god, really? Uh, the whole Jack Flag thing is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I give it a three and a half. I mean, the art's pretty decent on it. But yeah, as far as, like, coverage really cool, the story is pretty interesting, and, like, where they're going with it, I think, is interesting, too. So, it'll be interesting to see what the f- where, where the fallout comes. I'm going to say interesting one more time. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Enough? Okay. So, uh, man... Soapbox away. I just... Harley Quinn, dun dun dun. Harley Quinn number thirteen. This book's brought to you by DC Comics. Uh, written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, and art is by uh, John Timms and Chad or Chad Harden and John Timms. Like like the River Timms? Uh, I'm gonna say no, but he may be Egyptian. I don't know that. I've never met the man in person, so maybe. I don't know if the River Thames has to do with Egypt, but... Well, isn't that where the River Thames is? No. Where's the River Thames at? It's London. Oh. I think you're thinking of the Nile, maybe? Maybe. Denial? That's what I'm in. Denial. (laughs) No? God, all right. Well, man, it's no wonder people don't listen to this show. (sighs) You should be listening to it. You really should. You should bring your friends to listen to it. Punish them. Sit around in the dark and listen to the show with candles. Punish punish yourself the way that others have been punished. (laughs) Punish your friends the way you've been punished? There you go. That's the way to do it. Well, that's enough of that. Okay, so if you haven't been following Harley Quinn, um, this is number 13, and we've had a return of a Joker-esque character. So if you just saw the covers, then of course it appears to be the full Joker. We're just going to move with this issue here, which means I'm not going to go back to number 12 at all for you. Uh, the way this thing opens up, we're in the middle of a wedding ceremony. We've got Harley and the uh, Joker saying their I do's and uh, getting dipped and kissed. And uh, then it moves from there to a brief view of what their magical life together was supposed to be like. And Harley feeding the Joker French fries in, in France with mayonnaise. And the two of them having babies and kids. And eventually they've got four kids. And all the girls have crazy, well, two of them have green hair, one has blonde hair, one has white hair. And then how the girl's life moves forward and when how they deal with problems at school and they have one of the girls who says she's being picked, one of the sisters is being picked up by a bully so she beat him up. And the mom tells him how to handle that by kicking him in the family jewels. That's the best way to get it done. And of course the boy looks pretty roughed up. Pretty roughed up. 
And they talk about, oh, how sad they'll be when the kids go away to college. It was great because they're going away to college. And they talk, she, she, they're this whole like fantasy world version of them being happy together and picking new careers and the Harley winning an award for being the best, uh, real estate salesman, uh, for that year. And Joker's super proud of her. And then we go through a whole scene syn- synopsis of when he gets old and cancer and dies of cancer. And we flash to modern time. Where we have a very beaten Joker saying he loves her, which what he was just saying last is he was dying of his cancer in the uh, vision, and uh, Harley standing above him with a knife, and he he tells her, "Oh, I was just having a great dream." So the entire dream we saw is supposed to be from the Joker's point of view about their life, which is so broken. But we join Harley in progress, and she uh, has a Joker beat the hell out of, tied down to a catapult on top of her building. And she tells him that he needs to come clean and tell him who he is, or she's going to finish him. And of course, he tells her, "Well, I'm I'm your man. I'm I, I'm I'm the Joker." And uh, she decides, "Well, in that case, it's going to have to be torture." And so she goes over and digs out a batch of bird seed and comes out and sprinkles it all over his body. And then she whistles for a batch of birds. Surprisingly enough, it's very fairy tale like. And the birds show up and peck all the bird seed off of the Joker. And when he, he's clean, um, after she videotapes it and says she's going to get a lot of views on the, the YouTube, Y-O-O-B-T-O-O-B. Anyway, it's a YouTube joke. She's going to get a lot of views from her videotaping the Joker getting all the bird seed eaten off him, which sounds terrible. Anyway, we go from there to her saying, all right, now I, again, who are you? And from there, she pulls up the knife and starts cutting on him a little bit and tells him she's going to disinfect it with the alcohol. Um, because that's how that works, right? If I use uh, vodka on your cut stomach, then that'll that'll clean it, right? Uh, so that turns into more like random torture. And then eventually, she tells him that she knows he's not the Joker. Because whenever they've collected him for the previous issue, we saw him get shot up and his clothes were very messy. She told him how uh, Tiny and her changed his clothes. And she saw all of him. And her and the Joker were very close. And so she knows he's not the Joker. And he needs to come clean and tell the truth. And she wants him to tell it in front of her friends so she doesn't, so they don't think she's crazy. And from there, of course, the jig is up. Because apparently his uh, Joker is not the same as the Joker's Joker, if you get what I'm saying. Huh? <laughs> no? Not right. Um, so that leads them inside. She puts him into an electric chair. Which one of the friends says, where did she get this stuff? Which is hilarious. The book is, is just funny. And they're in an auditorium, basically theater style. And it gives a reveal who this guy is. Now, who this guy is does throw back to a previous Harley Quinn issue, written back in 2013, also by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, dealing with a would-be stalker issue. And this is the same character just come forward. He tells her how he's had a bunch of plastic surgery and how he became pen pals with the Joker while he was in prison, and the Joker led him to all the things he needed to become the Joker. And that goes on for a while, explaining all that stuff, and Harley, basically by the time we get to the end of it, Harley tells him, we do know why he did all this for you. It's not because he's your friend. It's not because he wanted you to be happy. It's because he wanted you to cause me problems and to hurt me. And that's the only reason. And you're crazy and can't fix it now. Ultimately, that ends in a very bad way for him. And, uh... After the uh, re- small reveals done with the Joker, uh, well, we get an end that's pretty final. And uh, I'm going to leave that off the 
the description because it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of awesome, but it's pretty hardcore. Uh, anyway, uh, from there, Harley tells her friends to clean up the mess, and uh, she's going to go have some alone time. And we get this kind of cool moment between uh, Red Tool, which is her now would-be boyfriend guy, and uh, little Tony. And uh, Red Tool says, is she ever going to be back to being normal? She's always going to be mad, and Tony says, well, she'll spend a little time with her pets, or eat about five pizzas, and then she'll be back to being Happy Harley. Or not, because she's very unpredictable. And that's basically where the issue ends. And it's, it's true, because I didn't expect it to go the direction it went, at all. Reveal of it not being a Joker, okay. Sure, that makes perfect sense, because why would it happen that way? But uh, a reveal to throw back to a character that we never that we hadn't seen in a very long time, and for it actually to connect someplace else and not be just some random thing, pretty impressive. Um, Bookwise, it was a fun read. It it does show how psychotic she is. It's still funny, like I mean, any of the Harley like shenanigans stuff. So I mean, it's a good book. It's a fun read. Uh, as a standalone issue, a little harder because it kind of picks up in progress. Uh, so, have you read 12 and 13 together, then you'd be fine. Even 11, 12, and 13 together. But, as far as stories are concerned, the art's good. Both Tim's and, and Harden are awesome. Uh, and the story's fun. I mean, Harley's definitely an anti-hero at this point that we've cemented her that way. And this just helps sell the idea of her no longer being the Joker's just tool. And she's no longer an accessory. She's her own thing, which is what this whole series has been about. Anyway, um, I would give it a 3. Fairly entertaining. Of course, I do love the team working on it, because they're all great people. Um, I think the only one of those I haven't actually met is, is John, Tim's. Yeah. Um, but all the rest of them are great, great people, awesome awesome folks. I'm sure he's a jewel himself, probably. Uh, but yeah, uh, I give it a three. It's a fun book. If you're not reading Harley right now, you're screwing up, especially if you like books that are fun. Because even when it deals with serious stuff and it gets kind of gets kind of heavy, it's still pretty fun. Uh, Mr. Rob, the score for that book. Yeah, I followed up with the... With the three as well. I, I've enjoyed the Harley series so far, and they've done a really good job of making her her own character. It's kind of funny that people don't quite see that she's done that yet, that she's kind of matured past the Joker. It's it's a really neat it's a really neat read, and it's really kind of nice that it's not as connected to everything else. So it kind of lets it be a little bit more kind of crazy on its own. Right. So, But yeah, I, I've enjoyed the series, and this was a great... Story on its own. So. Heck yeah. Crazy Psychotic Girls, your thing. And I'm saying it is. This book is definitely for you. It's good stuff, man. Uh, Alright, so pass the Harley Quinn to uh, something a little more messed up. Who <laughs> uh, in The Walking Dead, number uh, 163. And this is uh, by our, our, our illustrious uh, Robert Kirkman mm-hmm. of uh, Walking Dead and uh, Outcast fame. Along with Battle Pope, if you know what that is. Yeah. And uh, Charlie Adler, who's uh, been penciling The Walking Dead for the better part of 157 issues. Uh, so, man's been busy. Yeah. Something, something like, this is also special because it's, what, the... the... Mm, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Image Comics. Uh, this particular issue is actually a 25-cent issue. And surprisingly enough, page count-wise, it's a few pages longer than a normal issue, which is kind of crazy just because of the way they released it and the way they did it. Um, it's kind of set up as a starting point. Now, I don't know if it's a perfect starting point or not, because being that I've read this and watched the show, watch the show and read the books, 
Uh, hard for me to say for sure it's a great starting point. He does start at a pretty pivotal point if you've read and then dropped out and you're getting trying to get back in. For a quarter, you got to give it a try. I mean, book-wise, The Walking Dead has been good from the beginning. But as far as stories are concerned, if you haven't ever read it and you're just a show follower, it wouldn't be a bad place to start either because we're past a lot of the stuff that the show's got going on right now. Like I said, again, hard for me to say it's a perfect starting point, but as close as you can get because we're doing... the Basically, what happens in this book is we deal with one place and move into another place. We see sort of pretty pivotal things happen in it. So the book opens up. We've got, uh, we've got of course, Rick... And, uh, he's, he's, he's standing there in the, I don't know, I guess it's like one of the court, courtyard areas of the, uh, of Alexandria. You hear this giant hissing noise, which you know from other books is kind of the sound that the zombies make whenever they're walking. And, uh, him and Dwight are both out there together, and, uh, they both are freaking out, wondering if this is really what they think it is. And then when they see the horde, they realize it's a sea of the dead. Like, there's so many you can't even see the end of the group. And, uh, of course, then we, we have, um, the, get a couple of the other folks together. We get Eugene in there, and Eugene's, who's been out fighting the last couple of weeks and has developed a way to track the horde away with using horses as a group. They get a few horses out there running around with people on them, and it'll slowly draw away pieces of the herd, and occasionally you can even treat them like cattle and get them to follow you and wrangle them, basically. Not like physically wrangle them, but get them to go away. Now, he runs out there and get him and Andrea gather horses and uh, get Michelle and Jesus, and they're all going to go out and try to spread the herd so it doesn't just plow through Alexandria. And that leaves Rick, who's still got a wounded knee, because uh, he, he got injured before, thanks to Negan, uh, back during the Negan evil days. They basically say, we're going to hold the forge as much as we can, because at this point, Alexandria's walls are still up, and they still have the gates, like the chain link, the, or the steel gate. But this horde of zombies, there's just so many of them. Like, it covers the entire street walkway, and you can't see the end of the herd. It's so far out. So Rick tells them, don't fire any guns until until we, we have to, because if we fire anything while the horses are out there, then there's no way to distract any of them. And if you've been reading the book, you know they built a pit around the outside edge of the city, and it's basically a giant pit with a bunch of uh, wooden spikes in it, so the zombies will just walk into. Uh, but that gets filled, filled surprisingly quick, um, with zombies just walking until the it piles up so high they can walk over the trench. Which is not a small thing. So this horde is huge. And it best we can figure is it's been sent by the Whisperers, which um, that's a whole other bag, so if you're not reading the series, you really need to try to get into it maybe five issues ago. Which shouldn't be hard. It'll be like volume 27, I think. Um, anyway, so in the movement of everything else, like uh, Michonne and Jesus, they decide to split up from the, uh, from the other two, and that they ride opposite directions, they should draw more away. And they realize they managed to pull about a hundred from the herd, but the herd's so packed and so dense that getting random stragglers to leave is a lot harder because they're all just moving in like a sea of people. If you've ever been in a group of people and felt the whole group move, it's unsettling. So if you're a person in there, like if you've been in a Comic-Con that's packed full of people, or a stadium, or anything where you're surrounded by bodies moving in unison, it's a crazy thing. But uh, as they distract some of them, like, Michonne realizes there's not nearly enough behind them. And she figures there's maybe about a hundred. And so she convinces Jesus to ride his horse while she cuts them up and then switch and take turns. So she takes out about ten of them, hops back up on her horse and tells him, well, you take out the next ten, as long as we pace ourselves and control the horses, we should be able to kill all of them in about five tries. And uh, he's more than happy to jump off and cut things up, too, because they're both kind of badass with swords. 
And we move from there to Rick, and uh, he's telling everybody to get their guns and knives ready. And about that time, we see Negan come walking through the group, which there's been some things happen with Negan. And he's not quite the prisoner that he used to be. And uh, as they're all standing there looking at the gate getting covered in just zombies trying to walk through, and so much that they're crushing the zombies in front of them, Negan kind of walks through the group and grabs a knife, slaps around run the hands away, and says, we got to get to this, people. And he starts just taking out zombies on the wall. And at first, Rick's pretty surprised. And then Rick tells everyone, follow suit, you got to get to it. And uh, that goes pretty okay for a minute, until the bodies are stacked up so much that the bodies behind the dead bodies, the zombies behind them, are just pushing the the flesh through the bars. Like, literally, like, compressing it through. And about that time, we hear the fence give way. And that leads to everybody scurrying. And uh, we want to lose in one member of the party. And then uh, we see Rick go down. And uh, about the time Rick's going to get overrun, guess who's there to save him? Oh, that's right. The leather jacket crazy man. Negan. And he picks Rick up and starts carrying him away from the horde. And he, he says to Rick, this makes up for all the other stuff, right? I mean, after all, it's my fault that your knee's messed up. This makes up for that, right? And Rick gives him no reply. He's like, oh, come on, Rick Grimes, you're really hard to please. And then uh, we get another reveal at the very end of the book, which is a group watching this happen and how they're connected. And we'll leave as a mystery for the end because uh, that's a real catch is who may have caused all this to be happening in the first place. And it might not be who we think it is. Uh, Book-wise, I give The Walking Dead a, sol- a solid three and a half, four. I mean, the art's great. If, if, as far as Charlie's concerned, he's a great artist. He's been doing the book for so long that keeping stuff looking awesome and keeping stuff looking fresh is really cool. The Walking Dead itself is a, is a good series. I mean, if you ever liked zombie stuff, they, there's not a whole lot to explain to this. I mean, because there's so many different ways you can get into the dead. This is just a great jumping-on point if you've never read the books to give the books a try. And all you have to invest is a quarter. So, duh. Kind of a no-brainer. Um, I want to say the other book that he's got coming out this month that's uh, with a 25-cent price point is the Outcast book, which if you haven't got to check out Outcast, very different thing, but really good writing, too. As far as the show, the first season of it's pretty good, too. I, find, I saw the first season. Really good. Not nearly the same thing, but as far as, like, style of book, still really good. Um, anyway, both was recorded this month, so you can try both of them for, like, 50 cents. That, that, that's nothing. That's less than a cup of coffee. That's less than a refill cup of coffee. Coffee. You can find it on the floor someplace, if you look at the floor. Problem. That, that's enough of my words with that. Rob, you have a score for Walking Dead? Um, I, I give it a three and a half as well. I, it, it's always crazy to me that Robert Kirkman can work on as many titles as he does, because he has three right now that he's, that he's doing pretty much monthly. Right. Um, and then he'll take on other projects anyways, and they're all consistently coming out really, really well. Right. You know, the storylines for him have been so good. Man, current Invincible, man, it was great. This month's Invincible, yeah. awesome. And it's not like they're this they're they're similar. No. These stories have nothing to do with each other, you know, and, and yet such a great take on, on the books that are coming out. And of course, you know, like you said, the the artist for it he's been working on those characters for so long. Right. It's impressive that they continue to kinda of have a little bit of a I don't know, kind of like different looks to them as we go. Right. But you still kind of recognize those characters. And without color, that's really big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all distinct enough to be who they are without... Yeah. Yeah, without 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 the extra benefit of color to make it easy. Yeah, and a lot of his uh, visual storytelling is just really well done. So yeah. The Walking Dead is one of those books that 
just continues to defy like what you think of as a zombie comic to begin with. That's true. I there's a reason that it's this high in the numbers. There's a reason that so many people are that interested in the show. And honestly, if you're if you're a fan of the show, you know you, you've probably already heard this a thousand times. But the comics are different, and they're worth checking out. If you're a fan of the comics, the show is different. It's worth checking out. It's one of the few that like really has good homogenization. Right. Where you can check both of them out and get a little bit of a different experience between both. Both pieces. Both pieces. Yeah, yeah they're both set up really well. So yeah, you should really nothing else this month. Check it out, man, because. You're not going to find a cheaper month to do it. No, and the the chances of them ever doing this again is pretty pretty low. Yeah, you know, no, so. nobody sells a book for a quarter anymore. So it's good times. Yeah, well, nobody sells a new book for a quarter anymore. Well, that's not totally true. This month they put out a Vampirella issue zero over Dynamite. It is less than half the pages. The art's still good. Story is interesting. We haven't had a regular Vampirella in a while. So, it does happen occasionally, folks. Just not very often. Okay. I stand corrected then. Well, I'm saying this quality, as far as, like, size of book, this is, like, eight pages bigger than a normal issue. So, it's actually a bigger issue anyway, which is crazy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, man, that uh was really long right there. I'm going <laughs> to cut that out of this. Maybe not? No? Yeah, you can cut that out if you want. Whatever, Rob. Uh, Rob, we're going to move on to the, uh, the Odyssey, Odyssey of the, of Amazons. the Amazons. That almost worked in unison. You want to do it yourself? Um, we're going to move on to the... Odyssey of the Amazons. Number one. Uh, tell by Kevin... Corbex. And uh, pencils by Ryan Benjamin. With inks by Richard Friend. Which is evidently his real last name. It's Friend. He's probably a friendly guy. Mm, I'm, I bet. I hope so, otherwise the name yeah. is not good for him. <laughs> um, okay, so this is this is set well before we're ever introduced to Wonder Woman. And actually it's it's before most of the known history of the of the Amazons. So Hippolyta is already evidently set up on Paradise Island. But here's here's the tricky thing. Evidently the Amazons have kind of been scattered throughout the world. And so there's Amazons in a bunch of different cultures. And so a lot of this story is dealing with a group of Amazons that have gone out on a kind of an expedition to find other Amazons that are in these different tribes and different cultures, recruit them, and then bring them back to Themyscira. And so we actually go to a lot of different cultures in this story, picking up a bunch of different ladies from different nationalities. Now, evidently, being an Amazon is more than just being, you know, a badass. Most of these Amazons actually have some kind of level of immortality, enhanced strength, and durability. So it's kind of an interesting take, because I always kind of thought that the Amazons were uniquely blessed by the gods, rather than them being from all sorts of different societies, like they're an offshoot of some kind. So I don't know if they're going to try to continue going with the idea that there's divine blood in the Amazons, like with Wonder Woman, or... I'm not sure. Well, at this point, what I get from it is that the idea is that the gods, well, they they were uh, fruitful with uh, 
make him, you know, lady types or people. Well, yeah, the Greek gods especially. Yeah. Were Fruitful would be a nice way to try to describe it without getting, without getting dirty. And, uh, because of that, in both different cultures, some of the, some of that is passed down, whether they know it or not. I kind of think that's where they're going with that. Again, I mean, it's issue one, so it's hard to say exactly what they're doing with it, but that concept's there from that. So that, as far as being an Amazon in general, I mean, if you're, of course, born on the island, then of course that's part of it. But it's the bloodline, according to the current storylines at least, that endow you to being what you are. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about, especially in the early part of the issue, about the triax being this kind of throwing weapon that's connected to the Amazons and connected to this uh, race of people that they're fighting at the very beginning of the story. I kind of thought it was a neat idea because it, it might have been like the inspiration for the tiara that's kind of used as a weapon. Wonder Woman's tiara? Yeah. Eh. Uh, it's it's kind of a stretch in there, but because I, I don't really remember that being a thing, but at the same time, maybe that's supposed to be an inspiration for that. But basically, the, the ladies are very war-weary, and they're starting to question who they are as Amazons because they, they have the duality of Wonder Woman in them where they're supposed to be keepers of peace and, and preachers of peace, but are very capable of making war. And the problem that a lot of the Amazons have had here is that they, they're, they're wanting to go home, and they feel like they're not spreading as much peace as they are spreading war. Which they do very efficiently in this book. Oh yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of fighting in this book. Awesome fighting. They basically come to a point where they're just—they're divided on whether to continue this campaign or to go back to Themyscira. And while they're kind of making that decision, a couple of the younger Amazons wind up getting attacked on the beach, out on the Horn of Africa. Uh, we get to see their attackers, and although I don't think they name them in this book, if they did, I don't recall the date. They're kind of like a, a skinwalker. They appear as these crows, uh, carry-on birds that would feast off the dead. And when they take a human form, they're like a giant. And they talk about how just overpowering they were compared to the Amazons. They, they mention about four times their strength, which is a lot when you think about how strong just the base Amazons are. Now, we're not talking about Wonder Woman, because Wonder Woman is like near Superman if not at the same level. But, like, every Amazon is way stronger than the average human. Right. So, for these to be four times as strong, that's even... Even worse for More out of control. But all of these kind of younger Amazons wind up actually being defeated, and they're taken. And the one thing that kind of leads them to who their captors may be is a, a Nordic rune which one of the ladies recognizes as a, a symbol that the Vikings use. And there's all this talk about whether to go back to Themyscira and bring in fresh recruits to go hunt them or to go after them. And most of the debate comes from the, the ladies that are like, they're, they're very war-weary, they want to go home, who are almost willing to like leave their sisters behind. And the captain of the mission is basically like, that's not acceptable to her. But as they talk we are wind up actually being greeted by the fates. And the fates, evidently, if you, if you know Greek mythology, they typically only show up at their own best interests. And oftentimes their 
their words are misleading. And the fates kind of give them some clues about who's taken them and where to find them. And even though the Amazons are wary of the fates' involvements, the fates kind of make it sound like they have a vested interest in this. And so they think maybe, oh, we can trust what they're saying this time. From there, we wind up actually trying to pursue these Vikings, which I think they're actually even going off on the wrong the wrong trail, but you know, it's hard to say. Either way, let's just say that the ocean wasn't very uh, kind to them, and they wind up having this crazy moment at the end where we're, we're stepping away from a more barbaric world into something much more like Greek mythological. Uh, as, far, as far as I understand, it's a, it's a mini-series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say it's a six-part. Um, the art on it is actually really, really well done. Most of these characters are characters that we I don't think we've encountered before in the Wonder Woman mythos. Yeah, I think the only one that even makes sense is when they mention Hippolyta. Yeah. I don't... And that's, she's not even in it. They just mention her. Yeah, they just talk about her. It's kind of interesting because like, they've leaned away from some of the connection to the, the Greek gods in Wonder Woman as of late. And so I think this is kind of cool to kind of bring those back in. I'm interested to see what they decide to bring into this story. Sure. And then, and then kind of tapping the idea of having maybe even the Viking spirits or Viking gods and monsters in it could be really cool. We might actually see some other different cultures and their supernatural stuff showing up in this book. It seems to be the direction they're heading, at least from the way the way it ends. Yeah. Um, Score-wise, Rob? I'd give it a three. I'm interested to see where it goes. And I, I think that's the big thing for me, is I, wa- I want to know how deep they want to go into this story. Sure. I, I don't imagine that we're going to see a lot of this have bigger effects on DC. But as a, like kind of a standalone side story, I think this is a really good one. So... Cool. Um, yeah, I'd follow, I'd follow suit with the three. The art's great. I like the concept of mixing the the Odyssey from, I mean, the Iliad Odyssey, the Odyssey, that actual story, the Odyssey, and pieces of this seem to be similar to that. So I'm interested to see if, if how far it goes that direction. But yeah, as far as like a setup, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. book-wise, the art's really good. We have some interesting characters. They all have crazy names. Yeah, they do. Uh, but uh, as far as, like, in payoff, I mean, I don't know, we get six issues deep, and it may just draw lines between the different gods of different cultures, but so far the first issue is really pretty good, and I'm interested to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it does have a deeper connection, this could be the beginning of uh, the lady that we started seeing in the God Wars, the the one who went off on her oh. own and, like, had the griffin and the... yeah. Uh, Apocalypse tattoo on her face. I mean, we could be seeing some of those characters get connected because, I mean, most of these characters are immortal. All the fates, they're eternal type things, too, and most of the Amazons don't age the same way people do, so, I mean, for Hippolyta to be around forever, that's that's all God stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. And if they connected to that, that'd be really kind of cool, so I guess we'll see where it goes. Yeah, there was one other little side thing, and it's not really that important, but there was a moment in there where she's talking about the history of the Amazons, and she's mentioning the Hercules myth. Um, but she tells it differently. And so there's this moment where the other girls are like, oh, that's not how I heard that story. And it's like, well, this is how we tell it. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of 
what people know as history is really colored by who who's who's telling the story. Right. That's true. So, you know, a lot of this, we're dealing with gods and stuff that shouldn't maybe exist, even in the DC universe, shouldn't maybe exist. But, you know, the history we know is written by whoever wrote it down, you know. Right. So it may have been more fantastic than we ever knew. That's an interesting spin for it. All right, uh, so let's do the Star Wars number 28. This is from the current Marvel run of Star Wars, Marvel Ongoing Star Wars, uh, which is written by Mr. Jason Aaron, and he's been doing a fantastic job. Yes. Uh, and the art in this particular issue is Salvador La Roca, who's done a few of the other ones. As far as story, this is uh, this is uh, part th- part three in a particular batch of, of stories, so we're kind of jumping right into the middle of things. And if you aren't aware, at this point we we're running... The titling for the book is Yoda's Secret War, is what it's being called. Uh, and we pick up in progress. Uh, we've got Yoda and a uh, man climbing the side of a mountain, uh, which is laden in snow, and it, it, they've been climbing for a very long time. And the way the story's being told is from the point of view of a reader, and we, we know that Luke, Luke Skywalker is currently in his X-Wing, f- waiting for R2 to return from a separate mission, and reading from Obi-Wan Kenobi's journal, and this is a story in Obi-Wan's journal about Yoda. Um, so as we're going up this mountain, uh, the man who's with Yoda is is completely amazed that Yoda's able to keep the same pace the entire time, and while he walks like a small old man, he doesn't weary or tire. And the, the dude's completely tired of going, and Yoda starts trying to convince him, oh, you're in a very Yoda-style talk, um, you have to climb the mountain to finish climbing the mountain and stuff like that. And the guy's like, "You don't, you don't understand with this mountain. I can't believe you don't see it yet." What, what, what the children? Because they've been sent on this mission by a group of children to find the heart of the mountain. Is what they've been sent to do. And he tells Yoda the appreciates him freeing him from the from the prison the kids had him in, but that it's a death sentence because that's what they do with their prisoners. And the man elects to jump off the side of the mountain. And Yoda tries to stop him, but uh, by the time he, he's anywhere he can do anything about it, the guy's already flung himself off and says, you wish you'd join me. And uh, he falls to his death. And then it talks about how Yoda, the only part he really felt sad about was the silence. And he moves along, trying to find this opening that's supposed to be at the top of the mountain he's been told about. And eventually he finds it. And it's very introspective, so very much like Yoda's opinions of what is happening around him. He leaves the mountain, and he says he knew something was wrong, or something was something was amiss, when even before the opening closed. So the mountain itself has closed the opening he went into. He climbs to the mountain for a little while, and then eventually sets up camp for the night. In the process of that, he winds up running into a batch of little lizards, and he tells them that, that he's not going to eat them. and he has, He's not hunting them, so they're okay with him. And he goes a little farther, and then he winds up uh, eventually filling the eyes of others. Of course, that draws him to a point with lightsaber and... He's ready to fight, and he winds up fighting all these adult versions of the children we were dealing with previously. They're, of course, all there to spear him, and then they realize that he's not one of the kids. Height-wise, he would make sense to be one of them, but that he's not one of them at all. And so they kind of take him into their group, and they show him that this is where they live. They've been living in the mountain because it's the only place that keeps them safe from the war. And then Yoda starts questioning them, and in his questioning, he basically winds up putting it to them that they abandoned their children to live alone, away from the war, the war they created. 
So the only reason the children are the way they are is because all they were ever taught was war, and then when the parents were done with war, they just left. And so the kids are just continuing to do what their parents taught them, which is basically be warmongering little bastards, pretty much. Anyway, so Yoda basically turns it back on the parents, and of course they don't want to take any responsibility for it. They basically tell Yoda to leave, and so he, he leaves the group and continues to go farther down because the Force calls to him. And as he continues to go down farther and farther and farther, eventually he finds a child um, with the same mark on his head that all the adults have, which we find out is a way that they're branded by the kids when they throw them out to go hunt the heart of the mountain. Um, and this particular child it tells Yoda that the reason he was outcast is because he wasn't willing to kill during battle. And Yoda helps him find Moss to eat and starts feeding him and talking to him and tells the boy that he wants him to teach him how to use the power of the rocks, because these particular rocks are very Force-sensitive or have their own ability, very power-like the Force. And the children are able to use them in war. And he asks the young boy to teach him how to do it and tells him, you'll be my master so I can learn from you. And it's a kind of cool moment between him and the kid. And the whole time Yoda's, like, inner monologue is about how you constantly are learning things as you, as you go. So it's really a pr pretty cool little story. From there we jump to another piece where Obi-Wan is talking about a similar intervention he wound up having with people. So we jump from the Yoda story to a story of Obi-Wan about Obi-Wan. And uh, he's near Cantina on, uh, on Tatooine. And uh, we have a couple guys in the street getting ready to do a quick draw. And of course one of them is Greedo. And Obi-Wan uses the mind trick to convince the two of them just to get drunk with each other. And rather than try to shoot each other up. After he uses the mind trick and settles the argument outside by the two of them joining each other for drinks, he's approached by a hooded figure, and the hooded figure talks to him about using his power and tells him, if you, if you ever let it go, you're, you're going to regret it. And then the hooded figure pulls the hood, and that's the mystery reveal at this point. So this is where the two stories are going to connect. Um, I'm going to leave it at that so it doesn't give away a last panel that tells you where like, how the things connect. Um, there's a little bit more jump where we got Luke and his ship looking at the book and looking at all the different uh, designs that were based on the mark on the people's heads and where he believes it correlates to in the stars. Um, the book goes a little farther as far as like revealing what things are. We have one more really big catch at the end because we join Yoda again for a moment while he wanders through the caves with the child learning how to manipulate and use the rocks and when they get to the core, Yoda has a... It's a reveal that explains what this really is. So the next issue, we're going to have a big reveal of whatever it is they're actually dealing with on the planet. And according to Yoda, it's probably not a mountain. Hmm. So what it is is very questionable, but should be an awesome reveal. Um, <laughs> Score-wise, I mean, I give it a four. The book's pretty entertaining. Not a huge amount of action-action in it, but... The intro, the, the way the, what is it, the introverted, introvert, that's not a real word. No, yeah, it is a real word. Is it? Yeah, it's just not what I think you're trying to say. It's the, it's inner monologue, that's what I want. There we go. The inner monologue going through Yoda through the whole thing is really pretty cool. It is very, like, introspective. Is that, I think yeah, that's yeah. how you say that. I think so. Yeah. Kind of awesome. And, like, the, the parts where it connects to Obi-Wan is where every, we're going to see that everything sews together somehow. And, I, I mean, once you see the reveal, it's kind of like, oh, man, okay, I get it. The big reveal at the end, though, that's going to be the next piece for the jump, for the number 29, that reveals the answer of what all we've been dealing with on the weird planet. 
But story-wise, it's a pretty cool Yoda adventure. I mean, we don't get a whole lot of standalone Yoda stuff. So, it, granted, I mean, it is Luke reading a story that is written in a journal, but nevertheless, it's us seeing it that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I give it a four. Pretty entertaining. Star Wars is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rob, you got a score for the book? Uh, I'd give it a 3.5. I think I think it's actually been a really fun story so far. And I, I like that they did this because, I mean, you could have done this as a standalone uh, Yoda story, but by putting it into the regular series, you get kind of more of a connection with Luke and and the, the teachings that Ben gets to leave behind. So, uh, I, I think they've done such a amazing job so far with the Marvel Star Wars stuff, so I'm still really impressed with it. So Cool. Right on, right on. Well, yeah, at this point, it means the Star Wars series has been great. And it's not that the Dark Horse stuff was bad before it, because it wasn't. No. I mean, that Dark Horse stuff was fantastic. Yeah. But what we moved forward with, with this new take in the universe and ratconning certain things out to move forward for the sake of the Disney orientation, they've done a really good job. And where these books take place is awesome. Which, I mean, Dark Horse did some of that too, but the, the idea of these all taking place between Hope and Empire just makes the universe, like, way bigger. And I think that's freaking awesome. Anyway, uh, that's enough Star Wars nonsense. We start with Star Wars, we end with Star Wars, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we're going to go run this uh, interview. Uh, this is uh, Rob with George... Uh, George Wassel. With George Wassel, uh, talking about Oh Hell, Denver Comic Con 2016. This is Rob with Top 5 Comics, and today we're speaking with... George Wassel of O'Hell Comics. Nice. So tell us a little bit about O'Hell. Uh, O'Hell is a, um, a brand new uh, book. Uh, parents have had it done, finished, throw up their hands, ship them off to boarding school. You know the routine. What they don't realize is the school's actually in hell, and it's pass-fail. That sounds like, sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's been a blast. Um, uh, you, when you look around, you see I'm one of the uh, uh, older people here, but I'm really new to the uh, uh, to the uh, scene. Uh, this is the first comic I did. Um, I wrote it about uh, uh, three years ago. We began and uh, and uh, found a really talented young artist, Dave Hammond. Uh, he's uh, out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he had done a uh, uh, four issue trade uh, adaptation of the Dark Swan uh, novels. So um, uh, together we paired up and brought in the colorist Michael Burkhofer because I wanted to do a full color, uh, real high quality uh, uh, book. And uh, I think David and Michael really came through uh, in style. Nice. Got a beautiful artwork for it. Now, you, we were talking a little bit earlier and you, you mentioned that you'd done the the trade actually first through right. Kickstarter and now we're going back and we're doing the individual issues correct right are, are you planning to do this as like a, an ongoing or are you gonna go past the trade no uh, well I always envision it as a trilogy and I have uh, I have the script now written for the uh, second uh, uh, second volume uh, I want I put it I just finished it uh, this past month so I'm putting it away for a little bit and then come back to revisit it uh, and then we're going to launch a Kickstarter uh, late August, maybe early September, 
and uh, see if we can get some of the production costs up front. But um, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to being a trilogy. Nice. You, we were talking a little bit earlier, and you, you mentioned that you'd done a bunch of screenplay work before this. Right. Um, I'm uh, like I said before. I, I'm a little bit older. I'm 69 years old. I started this thing when I was 66. I retired, um, and um, I had written screenplays as a hobby for the, like the last 20, 25 years. I actually had eight of them that were optioned. Uh, some of them for some uh, actual money. Others for uh, uh, you know as little as a dollar. Um, and some for uh, uh, really nice checks that bounced. Um, you know, your typical Hollywood story. Uh, and I had this idea with this pitch and uh, these kids. And um, what I decided was I wanted something that I had written to be seen by the world and either loved or hated. And uh, here at Denver Comic Con, actually last year I was here, and the morning of the opening of the show, uh, FedEx, brought me the first um, box from the printers in uh, Texas. I opened up the box uh, just as the show opened, and this is where the first copy was uh, ever sold. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and being the idiot that I am, I, and not knowing what I was doing, I ordered 2,000 copies. Everybody said I was crazy uh, that an independent book like that won't, uh, that's outrageous. Uh, we have uh, just a little over 300 books left. Nice. Yeah, so it's it's been a lot of fun. And um, I actually had a young woman, uh, the first sale of the day uh, yesterday, um, she had come by last year, saw the book, uh, didn't buy it, um, saw the preview pages that we had online, came back this year, said, I have to know what happens. So that's really, as a writer, you know, that just makes you feel really good. And that's awesome because, you know, there's so many new creators that are out here at Denver Comic Con. It's nice to have somebody come back next year and still pick it up. Even, you know, it's nice to have people get attached to it to begin with, really. Right. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, you're saying that the creators here, I, I love, you know, I, I love coming out to the Comic Cons. You know, there's so much talent, you know, both uh, uh, writers and the artists. Uh, and then even the um, uh, talent of the cosplayers and uh, not only the professionals, but some of the uh, the amateurs that are just making their own costumes and coming out. It's just been a, I love it. It's, it's a blast. It is, it is really, it's been a really good show. So, When did you know that you really wanted to do work in comics? Is this kind of a new thing for you or is it something you've always thought about? Uh, you know what? I, I, um, I grew up during the era where... Uh, uh, comics were really being attacked and uh, you know uh, being touted as the cause for juvenile delinquency uh, and so comics were not allowed in my house but luckily I lived in the neighborhood with a lot of juvenile delinquents and so I would go over to my buddy's houses and read, read the comics and, and I always I always loved comics um, um, you know, I get the daily paper and read the, the Terry and the Pirates, Buck Rogers, uh, Dick Tracy, all of those kinds of things, uh, along with all the all the uh, the Stan Lee books uh, uh, from way back. Then, um, uh, then I, I put it away for a while, and uh, it wasn't until uh, in my 60s I went. You know what? I I kind of missed that. And went came back to it. Came back in a big way. Nice. So, is, how much different is it to write for a comic 
versus doing a screenplay? You know what? What's really well, there, the one big difference is, is you're not writing for the audience. You're writing for your artist. So you you have to really um, uh, have a uh, good communication uh, with the artist. Uh, and uh, David was really good about that. When I would give him pages that he uh, was having difficulty, you know, he. he he felt no bones about saying, you know, this, this is, you can't do this. This is, isn't going to work. You're going to have to rethink this. So uh, that's the first difference. But um, versus screenplays, what I found is uh, it's like being a director. You know, if, if uh, I want a thousand horses come charging over the hill, I can have a thousand horses come charging over the hill. They'll be tiny little horses, but there'll be a thousand of them. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, so you kind of get to take on the role of a director. Um, so we do have a couple of ridiculous questions. Oh, you mean these weren't the these ridiculous These weren't the ridiculous ones? No, oh. no. They, you'll know when you get to these because they're ridiculous. All right, so in the theme of the top five comics, if you were trapped on a desert island, what five items would you like to bring with you? They can be people, so... They can be? They can be. Well, I better take my wife. Okay. I uh, she stuck with me for 46 years, and she's put up with this uh, foolishness. Uh, and um, well, now at my age, desert island. Okay, I won't need any birth control, so that's uh, um, all right. Top five. Oh man! All right, no can opener. Uh, all right, a hammer to crack open the coconuts. All right. Um, and they can be outlandish things. It's okay. Uh, oh, you got me. I'm going to have to come back. Well, you know what? I'd, I'd probably bring the uh, top five uh, comic uh, bookstore collection with me. There we go. All right. Uh, all right. Um, next next question. Okay. So, so this one's going to be even a little bit more up the top. So if you lived in the fantasy land, would you ride a chocolate pony? A chocolate pony? Um, maybe a chocolate dragon. But not a chocolate pony. No. 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 Chocolate dragon, I'm there. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the time. Check out Oh Hell. It's going to be in the Diamond Catalogs. I'm really excited to check it out when I get out of I'd like to really thank George for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it was. You know, a, a great point to take some time away from what he was doing at the show to talk to us. Talk to your retailer, see if you can get a hold of it, because it's a great story. Right on, right on. Yeah, and as far as, like, books and shows are concerned and stuff like that, it's always awesome when guys are able to take a little bit of time to, to chit-chat away from their cells or from anything else. They can take time out for yeah. shows like us and stuff like that, so... I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, he was, he was a really neat creator to talk to, so... Right on. Um, all right, uh, let's see, so, hey, Rob, what did you learn today? I, I learned that Yoda doesn't mind eating some moss off of walls. <laughs> that is, that, that is a very true statement, sir. He's not afraid of eating a little bit of moss, no. and I don't mean that in the keep it nasty type way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, Rob, what did I learn? Um... I think that you learn that people really like uh, watching other people be tortured by birds on YouTube. Uh, evidently, that's a thing. So, bird torture. I, yeah, I will, I will give you that, sir. Bird torture on YouTube. That is a, that is a lesson to be learned. Or you to be.
or what are they called it? <laughs> YubeTube. YubeTube. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. And I'm sure that if I go Google it right now, I will find plenty of it. Probably bird attacks. I'm sure you will. Yeah. And there's cat attacks, and they are hilarious. <laughs> they are hilarious. Sometimes. Oh, my God, they are. Although I do wonder what Tony's going to do with the body. I mean, there's an awful lot of dogs and an awful lot of cats. Ooh. At the Harley... The Harley Ranch and Harley Apartments. Yeah. Harley Building. You know, I'm going to say that he Flintstones it and returns it. He recycles them? Recycling, yes. Recycles them with pet chow? That's what I, that's what I think should happen. It's, it's possible. Once he get the taste for blood, I'm told it doesn't go away, though. It's mm-hmm. probably not a good idea. I, I was genuinely surprised that this was not the Joker, though. Oh, it set up pretty good. When yeah. The, for, from the last issue into this issue. Mm-hmm. So... All right, well, uh, so we got, what else do we got? Books to watch, Rob? Yeah, books to watch. Um, books to watch. Rob, you got any books to watch? Shoot. Uh, I guess keep an eye on this, this Captain America thing, and um, bleeding into the Secret Empire, which hopefully will be as, as big as I think it's going to be. But, um, so we got that. Uh, Champions has actually been fantastic still. If you haven't checked that out, it is a great, great book. It definitely has some political side to it. But I think I think they do a great job of it. Um, we're gonna have the button starting here pretty soon in DC, which is gonna be huge. Yeah, it's a crossover event between the Flash and the uh, Batman series. Uh, Four part crossover starts at issue twenty one of Batman and Flash, and then follows in issue twenty two. So it's a four part cross between them. Um, I want to say that doesn't come out till I think April, if I remember right. Okay. So it's got a minute before it happens, but as far as, like, events coming, it's definitely one to watch for. Um, and they are going to be doing another batch of lenticular covers for that guy, so get on it so your store knows what to order you. Yeah. Because they'll be doing normal covers and lenticulars. Yeah, I, I imagine, like, last time they'll probably be saying that there's going to be uh, allocations. Yeah, so. I'm sure there will be. There's, yeah. It's happened every single time so far, which is fine. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, um, Birthright, of course, is fantastic. I really love that book series. So, uh, Paper Girls just started again, which I think is awesome. I've been really impressed with it. Sure. Uh, of course, always Walking Dead. Star Wars has been fantastic. So they just started Darth Maul, which I think is going to be a really cool one as well. So it's one that just barely didn't make the yeah game yeah today, so. it came out this week. Uh, it's five part at least at this point five part and kind of starts. Just before Phantom Menace, and I kind of wonder, I don't know for sure, but I feel like it's going to run into the Phantom Menace, but where it starts is just before it, so should be an interesting setup, though. I just finished up Nova 3, I think, the other day, and Nova has got a lot of crazy stuff going on. I know it's not got the best artist on it right now, but... I've really enjoyed where it's gone, so Nova's a lot of fun. They're doing something really crazy in the Totally Awesome Hulk as well, but so far it's been pretty good. So, Okay. Yeah, because even they kind of are like, it's a little weird, but... Well, Image is going to have a couple of them come out here in, uh, let's see, in May and April. Uh, one I'd say to watch for is going to be Rose. Uh, it's I want to say it comes out middle of April. Um, this is by Meredith Finch. Now, she wrote the end of the New 52 Wonder Woman run, which I know was a departure from the stuff we got from the first half of it, um, from Brian Osrello. 
I dug it. Uh, this particular story, uh, Rose, is dealing with another uh, female lead, and she's basically been tasked with the idea of uh, protecting her world and realigning a bunch of demonic entities and Dracula-type characters. So it's kind of like a, I don't know, I, I guess I'd say maybe like Castlevania-style. Um, but it's her and her giant cat, uh, which the writer for the book, it says that, she, that Rose must connect with her giant cat, K-H-A-T, cat, Thorn. So ultimately we're getting another the Rose and Thorn, Thorn the cat and Rose the lady, which Rose and Thorn I think is awesome. Just, I like that name sequence. I know it's terrible. I'm stupid. That's, that's fine. That's uh, anyway, it's Mary, Meredith Finch is writing it. Uh, at least one of the covers is going to be your husband on the first cover, so uh, you know him from uh, Batman and Wonder Woman and a bunch of other DC stuff. But David Finch, he also did a bunch of stuff for Image in the early days, too. I think that'll be pretty cool. Um, we got Copperhead coming back, also another oh, Image yeah. book, uh, which that'll be fantastic, considering we've been waiting for that to come back out for, I don't know, a better part of nine months. Uh, so that should be really cool. I'm pretty excited about that. I do think uh, Copyright is fantastic. If you get a chance to check it out, the first volume is $10. Bucks. Uh, good stuff. Uh, book-wise, I want to say issue 11 is the next one coming out, I think. I don't remember what number. I think it's 10 or 11. Uh, but yeah, there's two volumes. As far as like Space Western, it's awesome. I can do, we've, we've reviewed it on the show before. Great series. Um, so I think that'll be cool. We have the new Stormwatch to look forward to. Uh, see what that winds up being. Yeah, so pretty, be pretty fun. Interested to see what they do with it. Uh, I think that'll be kind of cool. Um, as far as other storylines, I mean, we're gonna have Super Sun start pretty soon. I think that'll be awesome, just because it's Damien and John, and it's odd couple, but with Batman and Robin, or with Superman or Superboy and Robin. I think that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, Seven Eternity still fantastic. Uh, I really like the idea for Super Sons. Like, it's funny because. I, some of these titles are getting reused again, and Super Sons was a 70s deal, and when it first came out, it was very squeaky clean, and not, I, to me, it didn't seem very interesting to have Dick Grayson and the all-too-polished Superboy Clark Kent, you know, together, so uh, this is going to be a, a much more modern take for it, and I think it's going to be awesome. I, it's one of those books that we really were looking forward to a lot earlier, and so I'm kind of surprised it took so long to get completely made out. But um, I have to imagine it's going to be really good when it comes out now. So, and we're, if, if anything's going on with the Superman series, we're actually getting kind of previews of what that's going to be like. It should be amazing. So. Yeah, they ran that issue 10 and 11 together, and those two were pretty freaking great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely digging on that. Um, we're going to be getting a new one from uh, Dynamite. And uh, the titling of word is The Greatest Adventure. And short pitch of it is we're basically taking the greatest characters Edgar Rice Burroughs ever used, so like a John Carter Mars and Tarzan, and mixing them into a crossover adventure. So we're going to wind up having Tarzan of the Jungle, uh, Carson of Venus, which that's a little bit farther back, uh, John Carter and Mars, um, all crossing over together. So Days of Thoris, uh, it, it should be an interesting, like, mixed match of things, because all these characters, I mean, from timeline, I guess, if you think about it, Tarzan would have been a, a different generation than John Carter, but John Carter wanted to be a spaceman, basically. Uh, 
So I, I think that stuff should be really cool. Just because of how far apart the things are, crossing over should be awesome. Yeah. And at least the covers and a couple pages of art that I previewed look really cool. But it's basically a mashup of different time frames superheroes, I guess. Yeah. Or not super, maybe not superheroes, just heroes in general. Because yeah. most of them are men with extraordinary situations. I mean, the, the dude from Venus, he's not from Venus, he winds up on Venus. And John Carter of Mars winds up on Mars. And Tarzan winds up in the jungle with apes. So, like, it's a very different kind of thing. But I think that should be really cool. It should be an interesting, like, fun story if you dig those old school characters. So I think that'll be cool. I think that was it. I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff that was showing up in the newest previews, but in my head I don't remember anything else that was coming out that I thought was awesome. Yeah, it's kind of a neat thing Dynamite's done. They, they've actually picked up a lot of, I guess what you'd call a golden age, uh, both comic characters and extra source media characters, So such as... Warlord of Mars and Tarzan, and I actually done a really good job of them. Really neat crossovers where they they brought in characters like Green Hornet and the Shadow, and, and the Phantom all into the same world. Right. And so this kind of feels like a similar thing, except for that we're we're bringing together a lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs work. Yeah, and they're which even, can be cool. They're even saying they're going to use things like the the Mad King, the Monster Men, uh, the Rider. Uh, there's a whole list of other characters, too. Like, stuff that I can tell you I've never read anything about, but the names were stuff floating around from those golden age, well, pre-golden age days. Yeah. I mean, we're talking books that are 60, 70 years old, man, so... Or older, depending on what it is. But yeah, I think it'll be cool just because it's a mixed match of all that. And I don't... I, I don't know. I guess we'll see how far it actually goes. Because, like, book-wise, I think it's set up to start as a mini, but most books are done that way, so... Yeah, especially through... Yeah, yeah. And it's not listed as a final number five, and it's not listed as ongoing, so I guess we'll see. Because Dynamite kind of does that. So, But anyway, I think it'll be cool. Um, if you dig that old school stuff at all, then it should be interesting. And like I said, the couple pages of art that are out, at least for issue one, look cool. So I guess we'll see. Anyway, um, I think that's enough of that nonsense. Rob, anything else? No, I, I think that's probably... Yeah, that's probably everything. Get on down the old dusty trail. Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't. All right. Be, be time to key it up. To key it up, oh. yeah. To key it. I think to key it up should be some other term, mean something uh, else. No. No? To key it up. Don't you be. cook those in the microwave? You do sometimes. Oh, sometimes. Yeah. To key. To key. To key. To key. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's, that's true, because usually it doesn't. Wakaza. 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 Waka